Amen. You guys can be seated. <clears throat> well, thank you for allowing me to come and speak this morning. Luke, thank you for the opportunity again. I am your substitute teacher today. You guys better behave. All right. Um, we've been in this series from First Peter, and um, I've really enjoyed it. Luke's done a great job at uh, teaching the word to us. Hopefully I can carry the torch today and we're going to uh, be uh, teaching or uh, looking at First Peter chapter 3. If you guys wouldn't meet me there, if you have a, a Bible or a, um, a, a device, uh, if you would meet me there and we'll get to work this morning. A couple weeks ago, uh, me and my wife had the great opportunity to go watch the Super Bowl at a Super Bowl party. Uh, it's kind of different for COVID, but we went to a Super Bowl party at uh, Jordan and Trista Parkhurst House with Sean and Sam Angel and had a blast, had a lot of fun. We had uh, some big old, big old fat burgers and some fries and uh, I don't know if we had fries, we had some jalapeno chips, the best chips ever created and um, we, we had a blast, we had a, had a good time. But one thing that was interesting, I, I always love to see kids interact together. Um, one thing that was, was on display was the difference between boys and girls. Um, well, we, we, you know, ate our burgers and played, uh, you know, virtual reality. I think VR uh, is what it's called these days. Uh, we sat down and started watching the Super Bowl. And me and uh, Sean and Jordan were sitting there, and, and, Sean, and uh, Sean and Sam's kids, are, uh, Asher uh, and Tripp, and, uh, and the Parkhurst uh, boys are, are Gage and Axel. And, and I don't know the, technically the definition, and I don't know if I fully 100% agree with the idea of all boy. Uh, I don't know what that means, actually, but if, that was, if that's real, that's what these boys would be considered. I don't, know if that's, I don't know if there's an all boy and a part boy. I don't know if one boy is like, you know, aggressive and gnashing at the teeth and crazy kind of like Jack Russell Terrier puppies or like part boy is like domesticated house cats. I'm not sure if there's a difference, but these are the, the crazies over here. All four of them are the crazies. And during the game, we're all sitting there, me, Jordan, and Sean, we're watching the Super Bowl, and they're playing this game that's like, doesn't have any rules at all. It's like part hockey, part football. They're really just trying to rip the ball out of each other's hands and just, just testing each other's strength. I'm watching them, and I'm actually I'm loving it. But my daughter would be just the opposite of that. If you think about Wren, she is considered all girl, I would say. She's the proud mother of about 20 different stuffed animals and dolls. She's personally nursed probably 10 of them. She, she is, right now, the essence of her being is, is to be nice and cozy. Daddy, I want to be nice and cozy. Come, can I cuddle with you? Absolutely, baby. Come on up. I'll, I'll cuddle with you. She's crazy. She's energetic, but it's a little bit different, crazy and energetic. It's, it's in the form of dance parties and riding her princess car. It's playing hide-and-go-seek and playing dollhouse. It's... It's very different than these Jack Russell Terrier puppies over here. And the, the crazy thing during this whole time, Wren is perched on my lap, cuddled up next to me, looking at me, looking at them, looking at me, looking at them, 
wondering where these creatures, what planet these creatures come from. Who are they? She finally looked over at me and whispered in my ear and said, Daddy, I don't like those boys. <laughs> and I said, Baby, don't, you don't have to like them until you're 30. <laughs> she, she is... She's, she's my daughter, and I have another daughter, Shepherd, and, and uh, I absolutely love being, um, being a, a, a girl dad. And, and, but the differences were on full display, and the crazy thing about that day, and, and really just the nature of boys and girls, is, you know, I didn't sit down and teach Wren how to be a girl. I didn't sit her down and say, hey, your favorite color is going to be pink. I actually did the opposite. I was trying to get her to like purple because it's a little more neutral, masculine, and feminine. Um, and Jordan and Tristan, Sam and Sean didn't sit down and teach their boys, hey, be rowdy. Enjoy being rough. And teach them that. I know there's differences. Some boys are drawn to different things, of course. But the differences is, uh, are kind of what makes us unique. And in this culture of gravitating towards this binary existence, you're really going to lose that diversity. Today we're going to talk about those differences of boy and girl, husband and wife, the differences and really hopefully bring to light, put some color to this, this idea. Let me pray for us. We'll dive into, dive into our text. Lord, I just pray right now um, for your help. God, I pray that you, that I would exposit your word in a way that is um, honoring to you. Lord, I pray that they would get more Jesus than they get Jake today. I pray that this con congregation sees you in a different light, a whole new light today, God. Change our paradigms. Help us to imitate you to the world, Lord. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right, <clears throat> let's get to work here. First, First Peter 3, verse 7 is where we're going to pick up. We're just going to stay in one passage. Luke gave me a pretty heavy passage today, so thank you, Luke, for the, uh, uh, for the softball. Um, likewise, it says this. Here's the, this is the word afresh to us this morning. It says this, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, so from a 3,000-foot view, we, we see uh, one major reality, and we've got two implications and applications from this passage Hopefully my message dovetails with Luke's message last week of submission. We're going to continue talking more of equality and differences and how that works itself out in marriage. And uh, uh, Luke did a phenomenal job talking about submission last week where, where he talked uh, largely focused on the women, for the wives. Today I'm going to talk more to the men, and my tone is going to be more to the men today. This talk is going to be a little bit more pragmatic and common sense rather than theological de uh, uh, deep, all right? So uh, we'll, we're going to talk more about character and conduct than we are about some paradigm-shifting theological truth. 
So first off, when we look at this passage, we want to talk, uh, just really highlight the elephant in the room. It says here, and you didn't read it wrong, it says, wives, uh, uh, men, uh, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Well, um, thanks, Peter, for giving us some, uh, uh, you know, helping us out there. And maybe looking at that and saying, well, Peter, you're being pretty misogynistic here. You're not being politically correct. I agree with Luke. Uh, he would probably have gotten canceled in this day and age. But as we dive a little bit deeper into this passage, what is he actually saying? He's saying that, women, you are physically, biologically built weaker than men. You are, your bone structure is smaller. Your muscle tissue and your muscle makeup are smaller. If we were to line up all the women in the church on this side of the room and line up all the men in the church in this side of the room and have an old-fashioned locker room bench press contest in the middle of the room, I could almost go to Vegas and put everything I own that the men would win the average of bench press in the room. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, women, uh, the, you're physically weaker than men. That, there's power in that. And he's talking to the men to say, listen, slow your roll, okay? So with this idea of being weaker, and it's also the reason why Jesus uh, is always saying, hey, take care of the widows, the, the elderly, the, the, the older women that have lost their husbands. He, he, he's saying that because they, they're physically weaker, they're vulnerable. Because of this, this plays into um, women's psychology a little bit. Not to say that they're mentally weaker or, or uh, uh, they're, they're physically weaker, so, but they know that they are physically weaker. So what they, how that plays itself out is they protect themselves in a whole different way. Let me explain. On a normal Tuesday night when me and my wife uh, sit down and are watching our shows, um, if I get a hankering for some ice cream, I just get in my car, I just go to Food City, I park, I get out, go and get my birthday cake ice cream, get in the car and come to the house. Pretty simple. My wife, on the other hand, is very different. If she gets a little hankering for ice cream, first it's probably keto, um, she will think about what time it is at night. Well, it's at 8 o'clock. Okay, it's 8, it's a little bit dark. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive to Food City. I'm going to park in a very lit part of the parking lot. I'm going to scamper, scamper in, scamper out, and get home, hopefully not making much eye contact with any creepers. Here's the thing and the reason I say that is there's not many days in my life where I've, you know, felt for my or thought about my personal protection. I've just not thought about it a whole lot. Uh, the last 10 years, I don't think I've had one moment where I've thought, well, I'm really behind the eight ball here. Uh, I need to get out of here. I need to look for my, my sidearm or something. No, I've never thought that, actually. However, my wife and many women think about it all the time because they know if they, they need protection. It is in the fabric of how we're created. We're created different. 
And women are created in a way that are, they are weaker biologically. Now, don't get me wrong, women. My wife is, she's tougher than me in a lot of aspects. She, the things she puts up with on a daily basis, the, the toughest Navy SEAL in the military could take care of, okay? Some of these kids, the, my kids are crazy. So I'm not talking mental toughness. I'm not talking emotional toughness. I'm not talking about competence. I'm not talking about ability. I'm not talking about worth. I'm talking about simply physical. And that's what Peter says here. He says that since your wife is physically weaker than you, live in an honorable way. Ladies, let's turn back to you for a minute. This is really the only thing I'm going to say uh, in direction towards you. But this idea of being physically weaker can make you vulnerable. It can make you, uh, in a way, um, I don't know, have poor judgment. My mom is one of my closest mentors. My wife is my best friend. I have multiple aunts. I have an older sister. Uh, I've got two daughters. And one thing that I've noticed about you ladies is you have a tendency to be naive. You have a tendency to just have poor judgment and be deceived. The number of times me and my wife have looked on Facebook and saw a good woman dating a snake. Uh, saw a good woman doing something crazy because she's been deceived. It's, it, it's because of this idea of, hey, I need protection. I need, uh, I need comfort and security and love. And so I'm going to go down a road of being deceived in order to feel that type of security. If Adam's original sin was passivity, Eve's original sin was poor judgment. It was deception. If we look at Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 teaches this idea of the woman, woman being deceived first by the snake and then, then deceiving the man or dominating the man, turning the man's head against God and doubting God's goodness, doubting God's love towards Adam and Eve. This is also culture's current tendency. Culture's current tendency is to bring men down. The biggest threat to society today is, is, isn't the transgender movement. It's not socialism. It's not uh, your conservative uh, uh, the, the conservative values that are opposing your, the things that are opposing your conservative values. It's not climate change. It's not the Republican Party. It's not Donald Trump. It's not, honestly, it's not guns, gun violence. Uh, and gun violence is huge, and I, I, I have my, my, my heart is towards those things. But it's this. It is the fact, and this is where I'm turning to you men. It's the, the fact is men are not leading. Simple as that. They the, the, uh, there's a book that I read a couple of years ago in 2018 by Will and Ariel Durant. I, don't know, I, wouldn't, necessarily rem- I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. It's a, it's, a, it's a good book, but it's called The Lessons of History. And what these two historians did, the, the, the two, these two historians had, had written about 40 different volumes of the civilization of history. 
And each of these volumes are about 3,000 pages. That's a lot of words. Um, but what they did at the end of their life, they took those 40 different volumes and they broke it down to a 120-page synopsis, pretty much like 10 lessons of history that they had really kind of took a bird's-eye view and looked at the entire scope of history and pulled these things out. And what they, what they found out in this book is one of them was honestly astonishing. One of their lessons is that society crumbles when men don't lead. That's interesting. This is really largely if society is not led by men, if the family is not led by a man, if, if, if men are passive like our father Adam, then society tends to stumble and fall and falter. If we look at our society today, we're very similar to that. I'm all for women leadership. I, I love it. My, my mom is a uh, phenomenal leader, and I, I love uh, when my, mom, my wife steps up and, and takes the reins on stuff. I, I'm all for it, 100% for it. But there's this biblical aspect of men taking the reins and leadership that helps and pushes forward not only the family but society in general. And we're, 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 uh, we're falling, we're failing in this, men, today. As simple as that. Women are beating us in all areas. I, 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 there's just a couple of stats that I looked up, and I'm not going to even go into it, but it's, it's unbelievable how, how much we're, we're struggling, men. And I don't know why, that is, why this is. I think one reason why is I believe there's a disenfranchisement a purchase, a purpose. There's a disenfranchisement of family, a meaning. There's a black sheep for, for being a man or acting like a man. I'm not sure what it is, but I think that's something of it. We won't get too far into that. We'll, we'll, we'll step back into the, the passage here. Let's just talk about, let's go back to this First Peter chapter 3 passage. And we, we see here, it says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, so that your prayer may not be hindered. Okay, so let's remember the context of the day. All right, let's go back to this idea of the weaker vessel. It says, when you think about the day here, women had very little rights. They, they, they couldn't vote. Uh, they they uh, they couldn't give testimony in court. They, uh, they couldn't own personal property. As a matter of fact, they were kind of like, they were, they were viewed as very much like property, the, the wives were. And it's definitely, that's definitely not helping us in the political correctness uh, aspect. And even in verse 6, Rachel refers to uh, uh, Abraham as, the, as, his, as her lord. So with this view in mind, just take a, think about this a minute, just with this view in mind, this idea of the culture of, hey, you know what, this personal property on one hand, and on this other hand, uh, the idea that, hey, you know what, we're physically stronger than them, there's a, a real tendency uh, to dominate, to abuse, to push around, to bully, to intimidate. 
And why Peter says this here in the passage and is really relevant to us today is we are called men, husbands, we're called to protect our wives. We're called to, 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 uh, to protect them from outside and from inside. What do we protect them from? First, we protect them from ourselves. Man, we don't intimidate her. We don't bully her. We don't rape her. We don't abuse her. We don't emotionally discard her. We protect her. Protect her from ourselves. On the other hand, protect her from what else? Protect her from everything else. Everything from the outside. Protect her from others. It's our responsibility, men as husbands, and if you're an older brother in here, I'll just go ahead and put this charge on you. You are responsible for going down with the ship. You are to fall on your own sword, and you are to protect your wife. It's a pretty noble and heavy thing to be tasked with. But it's this idea of protection. If, if, uh, uh, if, we think about the, the context of the day and we think about our wives being vulnerable, then we are to protect them. Number two thing is we are to honor our wives here. So showing honor to our wives as the weaker vessel. We think about honor and you think about honor in any type of context where you're getting honored and getting a plaque for, you know, being a, a, a noble employee for 30 years and being, you know, and retiring or, or honoring something, uh, whatever it is. First, you have to sit back and you have to think about what you're grateful for. It's a, first, the heart is based in what you are grateful for. In order to honor anything, you got to say, hey, you know what, why do I like this? Why am I grateful for this? Men, your wives are different. And first, in order to honor your wife, you first have to be grateful for your wife. If you guys don't realize, you're a hairy beast. Your wife is not. That's something to be uh, thankful for. The difference between male and female. The difference between her being more nurturing, more loving, more caring, her ability to handle your children with gentle, gentleness and love and tenderness. It's a lot different than yours. You may be gentle and caring. Uh, I don't think I, you may get to that, the depth of your wife, but I, sure, I, I definitely cannot get to the depth of nurturing that my wife can. So in order to honor your wife, you've got to first be grateful for the differences. You've got to first say, hey, you know what, what am I grateful for? And then you start to build this idea of honor. And honestly, it, you begin to really love your wife in a deeper and greater way. And you say, hey, you know what, um, how, can I deploy, how can I deploy some of these strengths? How can I make them better? How can I help her? And that's even, that even goes into more honor and love because of these differences. The third way that we uh, really work this passage is we live with our wives in an understanding way, or we live with our wives in a godly way. A couple of months back, probably like six months ago, 
Kippy came to me and she said she was studying a passage of scripture. We were sitting on the couch uh, once again, 8 o'clock at night on a Tuesday, I guess. Uh, we were uh, sitting on the couch talking about our spiritual lives. And she said that she had been kind of uh, working through this 1 Corinthians chapter 13 passage. And she said, I, th- I think I'm going to adopt this mantra in our marriage. And I said, well, what is it? She said, well, it's just six words, but it's, I think it's powerful. And she said, it's, it's, um, it's love is patient, love is kind. We'll, we'll read it here. I think we got it on the, on the screen. But you know, when we read this, just think about and meditate on it as I, as I read it. It says this. It says, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's a full passage, but she brought it to mind that she wanted just to focus on love is patient, love is kind. And... I'll tell you what, when she brought that up, conviction came over me like a heated blanket. I was sitting there, and I thought the spotlight was on me. My sin was fully exposed because, number one, I was not being patient with her. I was not kind to her. I, I wasn't patient with my kids. I wasn't kind to my kids. Actually, just the opposite. I was like a bull in a china shop, breaking everything in sight. And as I begin, we begin to talk about this, first I was a little frustrated at her for, for bringing this up, but I be, then I began to think, well, you know, God, give me God and thank you for, and Holy Spirit, thank you for illuminating this. And I, I, we begin to talk about this and we started asking the question, well, what does it mean to be patient? What does it mean to be kind? Well, patience is simple. It means absorbing Anger or absorbing something in the midst of something, absorbing uh, wrath or uh, hardship in the midst of uh, an adversity. It's seeking to understand, it's waiting and giving the benefit of the doubt in an, in a, in an argument. There's a faith element here that kind of says, hey, you know what, uh, I trust you, babe, even if you're wrong, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to absorb it and I'm going to listen and I want to really try to seek to understand first. It's the patience piece. It's one thing that I wasn't doing. The second part is kindness. Men, and I, speaking to you directly, there's not been many arguments that I've had with my wife where I've uh, talked about some uh, paradigm-shifting truth. I'll be straight honest with you. Your wife is probably smarter than you emotionally. I'll just go ahead and give it to you. She probably knows what is wrong. It's not necessarily about what you say, it's about how you say it. Kindness plays into this tone, this idea of, man, it's not necessarily what you say, it's how you say it. It's 90% of all communication is nonverbal. That's why I think uh, of Zoom calls and Zoom conference calls, it's hard to uh, really communicate effectively. It's because nonverbals are not in play. Similar in marriage, 
Your nonverbal says a lot. Your tone says a lot. Is your tone kind to your wife? Is your, is your tone kind and gentle to your kids? Are you, are you uh, able to communicate a hard truth in a gentle way? Are you a velvet hammer in a sense? That's a question and that's challenging because I just want to be a hammer. Oh, but you guys, I want to come in and I want to dominate. I want to tell my wife how it is and what she should do in a strong and boisterous manner where she gets something done. Honestly, that doesn't work too, too well. So this idea of living with your wife in a godly manner and honoring her as the weaker vessel, there's really three aspects to it if you're taking notes. Number one, protecting her from yourself and from others. Number two, it's honoring her, being grateful for her differences and magnifying her strengths. And number three, living with her in a godly way, patient and kind is the way that I've found that works best. I don't know about you guys. But all of this, there's a consequence, there's a tag at the end of this passage. Did you guys catch it? It says this, it says, live with your wives in an understanding manner, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, and then we'll take out the sense there are errors, we'll talk about it in a second, but it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow. I don't have a whole lot to say to that. I think the Bible says it already. There's one uh, uh, quote that I'll say by, by John Piper, and it's really a transition to my last point, but it it says this, it, it's, it, this is Piper's quote, it says, if husbands do not treat their wives in a godly way, the Lord will pay no heed to their prayers. Dang. He's not talking about gospel. You're still loved, you're still accepted, however, your effectiveness will be touched if you don't live with your wives in a godly way. Why is that? Why does Peter say that here? Why does he say it at this point in 1 Peter? Well, this book, and really 1 Peter and 1 Peter and 2 Peter, talk a lot about this idea of inheritance, talk a lot about this idea of being heirs. If we go back to the passage, it says that the reason, since they are heirs with you, in the NIV version, it says joint heirs of grace. When we look at this verse and this kind of this phrase that's kind of put between two uh, really pragmatic ideas, uh, uh, it, it's a Greek word. The, the Greek word for this is, um, I cannot say it, but it means to, to cast lots. It's a, it's a legal term uh, for you lawyers in the house. It's a legal term that means entitlement or to the entitled means there's an apportionment given to someone. If you're an heir, you deserve something or you've been bought for something. And when you think about this and how this plays into the aspect of, spirit, of our spiritual lives with Christ, the inheritance is directly from our Father. L ladies, I don't know what your relationship with your, your dad is. I don't I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is, but I will say this. Your spiritual father um, 
He loves you. Not only does he love you, he is, he's wealthy. He's a, he's a rich dad. And not in a way of material values, but he's rich in love. He's rich in peace. He's rich in comfort. He's rich in uh, security and, and, um, and love and tenderness. And you're an heir to an inheritance. You're a joint heir with Christ. And, man, that is the reason we live this way with our wives. There's an equality here that's across the board. may be different, but the worth is the same. We both share in this inheritance of life, this grace of life. What is it? See, when we were all weak, when we were all weak vessels, Christ came and died for us. Christ died for our sin when we were running away from him. In our darkest, most, most uh, aggressive addiction, Christ died for it. And he died, that, died for it in order for you to be called a child of God. The, the verse uh, uh, that really gets me, 1 John 3, 1 says this. Says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Boy, don't you like that? And that is what we are children of God. Georgia state law says that not, uh, 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 if, a, if a child is adopted into a family, if, if, uh, say, parents want to ad- adopt a child into the family, not biological, adopted children into a family, they cannot, they cannot, they cannot be written out of the will. What Christ did on the cross here, he gave you a new identity as a child of God. Ladies, men, if you had never felt that child of God, that, that identity, then it's real. However, commitment in following Jesus and going all in on Christ, him making you his child is what he's asking you to do. He's bought you an inheritance, and God has adopted you into his kingdom. And if that's the case, you are an heir to an inheritance. What Christ did on the cross, he He was the true man. He was a bold and humble leader, and he died for his bride, much like us giving us an example, man, how to live with ours, sacrificing and giving. We're not to dominate them. We're not to be passive and sit on the sidelines and just let society crumble. And women, uh, the, the most fallen nature uh, uh, for, for you guys of, of dominating your man and deceiving your husband, um, he paid for those things. He paid for us all to be equal in worth. In closing, I just want to read a passage of Scripture. And it, it, it's, uh, whenever I read it, I honestly sit back and I was like, Lord have mercy, this is a, this is a powerful passage. You could probably do a full a sermon on this, and really it touches racism, it touches uh, um, gender 
um, kind of the, the gender battle we've had. Um, but the essence is, is we may all be different, but we're all worth the same. Everybody is equal in worth. It says this, Galatians 3, 23, and I, this is my closing. It says this, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, we no longer are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are sons or daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. We're all adopted into God's kingdom if you have given your allegiance to Christ and you're an heir, joint heir to an inheritance. Let me pray for us and we'll be done. God, thank you so much for your love. God, thank you so much for giving me strength up here, Lord. Uh, help Help this message be a rock in somebody's spiritual shoe that just pesters the fire out of them. Pray for the men in here that we would imitate Christ, that we would lay our lives down for our brides, that we would sacrifice and that we would honor and that we would live with them in a godly way. God, help us to, help us to not feel that as pressure. Help us to not feel that as respond, as as a, 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 a hard call or a hard duty, but help us to see it as a noble responsibility. Give us strength to love you in a deeper and greater way. God, be with us now. Lord, help us to live in a society that really preaches a very contradictory message to this. God, I ask that you would be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and stand with me. We're going to take communion together. So if I could have somebody already brought it. Listen, if you would like to take communion with us and you didn't get a cup whenever you came in, raise your hand and they will bring you a cup. And uh, we will take this. And while they're doing that, just to remind you, this is not an asterisk item for us as a church. He just spent quite a bit of time on one verse, right? Just that seventh verse. Um, and that's a hard topic. I basically handed him a grenade and said, could you preach on this? But I didn't do it because he's a good preacher. I did it because he's a good husband. I mean, I, I think his wife could say, yes, he, he is patient and he is kind and he is growing in this and he is laying down his life. And I think it's a good sermon for us to hear because just as we prayed this morning over East Knoxville, Listen, there's about 50 or 60,000 people live in the greater East Knoxville area, Park Ridge, Five Points, just that Magnolia Corridor right there. And it is three times the national average in single mothers, three times the national average, right? So don't tell me that society doesn't crumble when men don't lead. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. And so I think it's good for us to think through just broad spectrum over the city what we're talking about, what we're reading through the Scripture, but even in your own life. I think one of the biggest reasons we struggle against sermons like that and sermons like last week is because we don't like to feel weaker 
We don't want to feel like we need to be rescued. We don't want to feel like we need something to save us. But is that not the gospel story? Isn't the sweetest part of the gospel is that we were rescued, that we weren't strong enough to save ourselves, that we were worthy and valuable in another's eyes, our rescuer, our king, our lover in Christ. In fact, that's what we're going to celebrate with communion right now, is we take communion. And listen, you don't have to be a part of Legacy Church to take communion with us. If you're, if you're a Christian and you're just here with us today, we'd love to invite you into this moment with us. Um, but if you're not a Christian or you're skeptical or you're just checking things out or you're, maybe you're not even sure, don't worry about taking this. I want you to be consumed not with are we supposed to be drinking or eating something right now, but are you, are you willing to be rescued? Are you willing to be rescued? Are you willing to put yourself in a place where you say, I am too weak to take care of myself. I'm too weak to lift myself up from this thing called death and destruction and chaos. And I need, I need my God to rescue me. Because that's what I would invite you to into as well today. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this. And if, if this is new to you, you're going to peel back that clear part of the cellophane and expose the little wafer. It's just a wafer. And what this is, is it's more than a wafer because it's, it's a symbol to us, right? Now, it's just a wafer, but it also is emblematic of a body that was destroyed by a greater groom who came for a weak bride, unable to lift herself from her predicament. It came from a good groom who submitted his life even unto death to elevate his bride for her good at his cost. It's the model that we walk in as men, as brothers, as grandfathers. This, this, this is what we model ourselves after, men. So, Lord, we take this in remembrance of what you have done for us, your broken body. And then this is the emblematic of the blood of Jesus, this juice, blood that was royal and blood that was spilt. Again, again, it's a model of stooping. It's a model of, of one who was in royalty, who enjoyed the community of the Godhead, coming to people that were undeserving, unable, crippled to help themselves. And he bleeds out and he gives his own life. He didn't feign death. He didn't pass out. He truly gave his life. And he did so that we could have eternal life, his bride, his bride as it says in the Bible. So, Lord, we take this as your bride today, your rescued bride in remembrance of you. And before we shift gears into worship, this time of response, you know, where you catch yourself struggling with sermons like this, whether, listen, whether you're a wife or a woman or not, you're a guy and you struggle with it. If you struggle with sermons like this, I want you to ask yourself why. Why? It's, it's, it's going to come down to the feeling of being weak, of needing somebody to intercede for you. But again, this is a beautiful place. This is treasured place of being loved so much by God that he would come and rescue us. And so as we sing, as we pray, as we fellowship afterward, let's do so in celebration of what God has done for us in this beautiful story called the gospel. 
And let me just pray before I hand the mic off to Jonathan up here. Let me just pray for those of you who are struggling with this. Father, we thank you that you give us passages in your word that don't always agree with our hearts, and they rarely agree with society. <laughs> it doesn't agree with society. That whole sermon is canceled. I mean, that, that sermon will be deleted and exited so much on YouTube because it won't even be able, people won't be able to get through the first 10 minutes of it. They won't. But Father, you give us your word and your gospel that does run contra. It runs against the grain of our, of our very desires and our hopes. And you do so because you are sweet to us and because your truth is truth. Your truth is good for us in every era, in every age. And that is just as beautiful of a truth now in 2021 as it was, as it was in a very different time in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s AD when the church was just barely the church. So, Father, wherever your scripture is challenging our hearts, Lord, we lift our hearts to you and we just say, change us. Change our hearts, Father, with your spirit that we would not only just say, okay, okay, I agree, but we would celebrate, we would celebrate the truth of your Bible, the truth of your story. And Father, for those who are listening, whether online or even here personally, that are far from you, whether they are a Christian or not, they would say, I am very far from God. Lord, that you and your spirit would change their heart, that you would remove distractions, that you would remove hesitations, and that you would touch them. Taking a heart of stone away and giving them a heart of flesh that does respond, that does feel, that does yearn, that does hope for something different. Lord, that you would change them, that you would love them, that you would call them child today. Lord, you're so good and you're so kind. You are kind and patient for us, absorbing, even on the cross, what you shouldn't have, being patient beyond patience, defining what kindness is. So we celebrate you today, both in prayer and song. It's in your name we pray. Amen. <laughs>